everybody, and welcome back to the Penn State Football Podcast. You'll probably be listening to this in February, so we made it through the first month of the year, 2024, one month closer to the start of Penn State football season, a couple of days closer to spring practice, which in the limited amount of Penn State news that broke this week, uh, we know will now begin on, on March 12th this year. March 12th is the start of spring practice, and we know that the blue-white game on April 13th will start at... I think it's normal time, two o'clock in the afternoon. So looking forward to that. This is your host, Donnie Collins. Sam Freeman, our trusty co-host, is not with us this week. He's taking care of some personal business today. And my thoughts are with him. Let's let's put it that way. This is a it's always a rough day when you're when you're trying to make some government documents and legal documents right. And I know Sam is probably spending a lot of time at the notary public. And places like that the last couple of days, he's trying to get a you know, something changed over for his car. So, you know, Sam needs his personal time this week to to do personal things. And we certainly understand that. And our thoughts are with you, Sam. I know you called it a disaster when it, when I talked to you earlier. It's it, it'll be all right. You'll get it done. All right. So. So, yeah. So, so we'll we'll focus this week a little bit on the Nittany Lions without Sam. And then in the second half of the the show this week, we'll have a very special guest. My colleague from the Times Tribune, Joby Fawcett, will be on to talk about some NIL stuff because I'm really fascinated by this uh, NIL case from the NCAA against Tennessee. And we'll get into that in a little bit because this is going to affect everybody. It's basically the NCAA punishing a school for any violation that occurred through a collective. And this was the next stage in in the in, in the NIL enforcement. And and then and look, the NCAA is probably wrong on this. And Tennessee is probably letting its collective do its bidding a little bit in the recruiting wars. And that's probably to be expected the way the NIL rules have been set up. And I and I use the word rules very, very loosely. There are very few rules, as as Tennessee's chancellor pointed out. But we'll get to that in a few minutes. There is some Penn State stuff going on that I want to talk about heading into this week. The the, the off-season all-star games that seniors and draft-eligible juniors have been invited to are going on. And those are big deals for the for the players, big deals for the university too, the for the for the football program, I should say. Down at the senior bowl where that, I, I would say that's the big that's the big game still I mean, every team sends head coaches general managers whoever any kind of player personnel people you could think of go to this game to to see the top top senior guys i mean there's a bunch of these games but this is the one that that features the top guys and, and there's four penn state players in this one they release their heights and weights we'll go over it a little bit here just to kind of get you guys all filled in where where guys like Theo Johnson, Kalen King uh, measured in because it's, it's it's big for them. This is an independent, not from the university, not giving you that extra half inch when it's not there, not giving you, you know, an extra couple of pounds when you, when you don't have it. This is this is the first true kind of evaluation of where you're at physically and heading into draft season. We'll start with Kalen King. He comes in at five foot eleven, one eighty nine, and if you look at the Penn State roster, Kalen King was five eleven, one ninety. So. At his playing weight, at his playing size, Theo Johnson, 6'6", 257 at the Senior Bowl. Really good size for a tight end. He's he's turning some heads during the workouts. 6'6", 260, which is a little lighter. And I, I think Theo, it doesn't, you know, Theo a little lighter. That's a good thing for him. It, it helps him maybe get a little bit extra speed, a little bit sharper on his routes. I, I think Theo is going to be a very high pick. I mean, and look. I was going to get to this in a little bit because there's one guy I really specifically want to talk about. But when you're looking at Penn State's class here, and, and there's guys, Olu's not at the at the Senior Bowl or any of these games, and he's going to be a, a, a top 10 pick without, without question. I, I think he should be the number one pick. I don't believe that Chop Robinson is there, but those two guys are going to be really high picks. Kalen King will be picked. Theo will obviously be picked. Adisa Isaac, six foot four and a half, two hundred fifty pounds, on Penn State roster, six foot four, two hundred forty nine pounds. So a little taller, a little bigger than than Penn State actually measured him. Johnny Dixon made his way to the Senior Bowl. Congratulations, found him again. Johnny Dixon, five foot eleven, one ninety two. Johnny Dixon on the roster, six foot one ninety six. A little little shorter at the Senior Bowl somehow. A little lighter at the Senior Bowl too. 
the senior bowl, not the only game going on. Uh, Hunter Norzad is at the shrine bowl. And he's the guy I really want to talk about here because that's a guy I think going into this whole process with the drafts, you have to think maybe Hunter Norzad isn't going to be picked. I thought he would be. I thought he was a, a smart guy. Very, very good run blocker at Penn State. I thought he had trouble with stunts at times uh, as, a, as a pass blocker from the center spot during his senior year. I thought you could get past him on some exotic rushes and the rushes in the NFL will be better. So I thought there was some some chance here that maybe if you're looking at any of these Penn State guys, maybe falling out of the draft, Hunter was a guy that could be a, a, a real priority free agent signing, but that that's not going to happen anymore. He is killing it at the, at the shrine bowl. His, his videos, all you have to do is go to Twitter, go to whatever and, and type in Hunter Norzad. And there are, there are enough videos of him stonewalling very good defensive linemen that convince you that not only is Hunter Norzad going to get picked, he might get picked in the, on the second day. He's, you know, teams are looking for centers. Now the Oregon center is really turning heads at the senior bowl. I think there's a lot of teams. The Steelers are one of them. Uh, Denver is looking for a center where you're going to have a guy. Tampa Bay is looking for a center where you're going to have people looking to get those top athletes at that position really quick, earlier than usual. I, I think that the Oregon center is going to go in the first round. And when usually that doesn't happen. I mean, the top centers don't usually go in the first round. So that usually happens in the second so this year, if, if a guy goes in the first round, it's just going to bump everything up. And I think I think Norzad as a fourth round pick makes a lot of sense, maybe even as a third round pick, the way he's playing this week. And it it is the dichotomy between individual drills and game action, because if you go and look at Penn State's film, Norzad isn't always the, the best looking player out there. I mean, his snaps this year were kind of inconsistent. And when I say kind of inconsistent, I mean definitely inconsistent. Yeah, you know, We talked to Phil Troutwine about it a little bit. Uh, he didn't seem to think it was a, a major problem, at least publicly. But I didn't think it was a, it was helping Drew Aller a lot of the year, you know, having to go down and get a snap or, or, or jump up to get a snap. The, the, the snaps just weren't consistent. His run blocking, again, I said I had no issue with his run blocking. I thought he was a devastating run blocker. But pass blocking, I thought there was a lot to be desired. But you look at these individual drills, one-on-one, Norzad against bigger guys, Norzad against faster guys, Norzad against long guys, guys with a lot of moves, guys from small schools, guys from big schools. He he was winning almost every battle. And and, and a lot of guys took notice. And Norzad was at the top of not just the offensive line list, not just the center list at at the Shrine Bowl, but he was pretty close to the top of the overall prospects list at the at the Shrine Bowl for a lot of these guys. He was a big winner this week, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he plays because if he gets the snaps down, I think you work with that. You know, I, I saw a clip from Mike Tomlin, who I love. I, it's probably an old clip, but it was basically him discussing the importance of coaching and saying, hey, look, if these guys were all perfect prospects, you wouldn't need guys like me. You know, we, we wouldn't make the money we do. We wouldn't be necessary because you would have guys who do everything perfectly and couldn't change and and wouldn't change and that's what that is what they are. This is the, really the area where you start to see players who have something extra to give kind of get noticed and maybe Norzad's one of those guys. I I I think it's potentially maybe the biggest upside guy in in, in the draft in, in that in that regard where, where you're talking about guys who have long careers in, in in the pros among the Penn State guys I'm talking. But a guy like Norzad, if he stays healthy and he gets the snaps down a little bit, he, he, he becomes consistent there. And remember, this is not a guy who was a center his whole life. This is a guy who came to Penn State as a tackle. He was a tackle in, in the Ivy Leagues, came to Penn State, ends up moving to guard, which is probably his most natural position. I thought he played really well at guard in, in 2023, or excuse me, 2022. And then last season moves to center, and it's a big transition to center. Really, I I think if if there's any coaching to be found there, he's go, he's going to be a good candidate to make a big jump in in, in the NFL and and become a, a really good player. And look, I mean, look, I Donovan Smith is playing in the Super Bowl for the Chiefs. I didn't think Donovan Smith was an outstanding outstanding top of the line left tackle at Penn State. I think he was pretty good, but I think he's played himself into a better player than he was in college. Uh, and in which you should, you're older, you're you're in you're doing it professionally you're it's it's your whole life now you don't 
have anything else that you you should be focused on professionally uh, outside of playing your playing your position. So I, I think it's natural that you get better that way. But a guy like Donovan Smith has had a much longer NFL career than I than I thought he would. So I, I think there's a lot to be found with Norzad at the at the Shrine Bowl through his performance. And I, I think a good team that really has a good offensive line coach and can focus on making him what he can be refining. I, I think it's little things with Norris. I really do. I, I think it's tweaks here and there. He could be a good player in the NFL. He could, he really could. And he could be a, a good player for, for a long time. So I, I think the the senior bowl and the shrine bowl are, are very big for, for Penn state this week, because this is where it's, this is where it all sets up. This is where these guys are going to impress, and I think this could be a very big NFL draft for Penn State because you could see a lot of guys get picked. I mean, not just the four at the Senior Bowl, not just the two at the top, but Norzad as well. I mean, and you're talking right there, seven guys. They could have seven, eight guys picked. That's what the top programs do. They, they, they get seven, eight guys picked every year. So, before we get to the second segment here, I want to do a little monologue here on what's happening at Tennessee because speaks to what college football is going to be and where it's where it's going and maybe in a lot of ways where it is right now because I don't often say this I think I think both sides are right I actually think both sides are right I, I think the NCAA realizes hey the preponderance of the evidence here is that Tennessee illegally recruited this kid this kid that the, they're start the kid who's going to be their starting quarterback this year Nico Iamaliva who was a big big prospect out of high school in California could have went anywhere in the country based on his talent and here is Tennessee swooping in to, to get the kid it's, it's a big NIL focus for the for the NCAA because number one the, the, their compliance department has to they have to justify why they're there it's the wild west now in college football it just is and it's going to be that way until there's some rules established there are really no I mean there's policies there are ideas on what they want the rules to be from an NCAA standpoint, but this is not something that really follows closely to what the NIL rule is, and which the Supreme Court overwhelmingly passed in, in 2021, and which California and states like that have basically said any way you can make a dime as a as a college athlete, you can you are allowed to do it. So what the NCAA is focused on really here and, and, and their quest to get some kind of grasp on this. And if you didn't hear the, the word broke, the NCAA was going to inflict some sort of penalties on Tennessee for use of NIL. And it's a big deal of Tennessee because this is their second offense. They got dinged for recruiting violations under Jeremy Pruitt a couple of years ago. And they, in a, in a, in a roundabout sense, agreed with those allegations and cooperated with the investigation, fired Pruitt and, accepted the penalty so if this is a real second violation then tennessee is going to face significant sanctions and and, and the ncaa has the power to inflict those so so it, it's possible that tennessee could be in real trouble here not likely but possible but the ncaa is focusing on the quarterback i am oliva taking a flight to knoxville to visit the campus and the flight was paid for by allegedly paid for by Spire Sports. They say that they say the kid rented the plane on his own. It was, it was a private plane, flew out there, whatever. It, it seems ridiculous to argue that the, that the collective Spire Sports, which represents all of Tennessee's at, big-time athletes pretty much, they have agreements with just about all of them. That is the Tennessee collective. So, so the NCAA is kind of going after what the collective did and – alleging that it's Tennessee's fault. Now, Tennessee is saying, well, we didn't know. We had no idea that that, we, that, that wasn't used as a recruiting tool. We, we told him this is not, this has nothing to do with your coming to the university. Spire Sports has a, an agreement, signed agreement with, with, with the kid, which basically says you're turning over a limited number of your NIL rights to us, but that's not in exchange for coming to the University of Tennessee, which is great to write on a piece of paper and have the kid sign, but you know what the you know what what is what does Tennessee's collective have to have rights to this kid for if he signs signs with Stanford or he signs with Washington or he signs with Boston College or something like that? It, it, it doesn't make any sense. Common sense here should be prevailing. You know whether the kid paid for the flight with NIL money that he got from the the collective or the collective paid for the flight, whatever. That's what the NCAA I think wants to know. End of the day, he got this flight to 
to Knoxville, ends up signing with Tennessee, and the NCAA wants to know how that happened. So they're going to investigate Tennessee and, and inflict penalties if they find that it was a, a recruiting trip. And clearly it's a recruiting trip. And I don't think Tennessee denies that it's a recruiting trip. But what Tennessee is, is arguing in return is also correct. Hey, it's the collective that did it. It wasn't us. The collective doesn't work for us. The collective, which, and, and all the schools, Penn State has collectives. Uh, Alabama has collectives. Ohio State has collectives. Louisville has collectives. Any school that's playing in this major college football arena has collectives and college basketball, anything. They all have them. They all have them to, to manage the NIL of the players and, and bring them in and, and make sure they're getting paid what they what they want or whatever. It's it's a roundabout way so that so that the schools don't have to pay. And we'll get to that in, in, in a little bit when when Joby comes on. But it, it doesn't make any sense to me that that either side here is claiming wrongdoing and claiming right because they're both right and they're both wrong. Well, here's where Tennessee's right. Again, Don De Plum and their chancellor really came out firing against the NCAA in a statement saying, look, it's not like there were rules here set up by you guys to follow. You're changing them all the time. You're punishing for policies that were in place before you changed certain rules. And they're contending that whatever the collective did was within the rules at the time that they did it. Look, I, I have a, I have an issue with the whole thing. Obviously, I have a a concern that this is where college sports is going, and and we're not going to be able to draw the line outside of uniforms between what a professional team is and what a college team is, because and under the current set of rules, there really is not going to be a difference. And Tennessee, let's let's say Tennessee's argument is, yeah, we did it. Why can't we? We didn't pay for the kid to come here. He came here on his own, as far as we know. And it's just a matter of time before they start looking into every collective. So I think if you're looking at this from Tennessee's perspective, you're fighting the good fight. And I, and I wonder who a college like Penn State, which side they would be on in this. I would think it's Tennessee's. But I would think everybody, all the coaches, and, and we've heard James Franklin talk about it. We've heard Elaine Kiffin at the Peach Bowl talk about it. You know, Chip Kelly has look, there's something's got to change. Something has to be different than it is right now. It is the single most important issue in college sports, and there's no close second right now. None. They have to get a grip on this. I I keep mentioning this on the show, but I, I covered baseball for many, many years. And the last thing I thought my coverage of baseball would have helped me with now covering college football for a living is collective bargaining. But really, that's what we need here. In college football, we need collective bargaining. We need the players on one side of a table, representatives of the players. We're not going to get, obviously, that's what I mean. And we're going to need what James Franklin and Lane Kiffin both kind of advocated for at the Peach Bowl, some kind of collective of the major college commissioners, representatives of the the group of five, quote unquote, commissioners. We need NFL representatives there. And and we need to hammer this thing out to make a, a system that works. But I'll say this. And I say this with all sincerity, that's going to be very difficult to do. It's very easier said than done. Very easy to say it. But the longer you go without rules, the longer you have the wild, wild west, the harder it is to make rules. Nobody wants a rule that is going to affect them. It's why why baseball doesn't have a salary cap. The reason baseball has this lopsided salary structure where it, it seems like four or five teams, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox, whoever where we want to throw in that big pile of teams, the Phillies, who have a lot of money to spend and 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 make a lot of money and spend it and put it back into the team. And you have these powerhouse teams and everybody else is essentially trying to do what the Tampa Bay Rays do and just put it together for one year and and, and go after it and, and build a different way and and put these put it put a team together non-traditionally, but always end up losing out to one of the teams that has the stars. There's a reason the Major League Baseball doesn't just go to a salary cap. It's because it's not fair to those couple of teams that make money and put it back into the teams. Because that's really what fans want, right? Fans want their money put in at the ticket booth that's put in at the gate to go to make their team as good as it can be. That's why Yankees fans love George Steinbrenner, because he put that money back in. And the Dodgers are doing that now with Otani and uh, a, a lot of 
other players that, that they've brought in over the years that they've, they've been able to keep, that they've been able to sign Mookie Betts, that they have just have more ability to do that. It's not fair to them to drop $100 million off their salary and make a salary cap and say, okay, this is for the Pittsburgh Pirates and the, and the, and the, and the Cleveland Guardians and, and the Milwaukee Brewers to go out there and, and, and compete, compete, compete without any kind of give back to the top teams. And they're going to say, we want a salary floor, and those teams aren't going to do it. They aren't going to want to have to increase their own salaries to be more competitive. They want to make money. There, it's, it's just a lot of different ideas on, on how to go about it. And what you're going to see, and I think Ohio State's a, a good example, what you're going to see is these teams are going to spend money out of the transfer portal. They're going to bring guys in, pay them their NIL, whatever, make sure that they get that money. You're going to see them try to get that money back in ticket sales, in merchandising, whatever. That's the game here. It's now capitalism running rampant in college sports. And it always has. It always has. It's just now spread apart. And I think it's I think it's great that players get that. But they're going to have to figure out who gets this money and who, who's distributing this money. And, and and Chip Kelly's idea was a good one. Have the schools pay the kids. Have the schools pay the kids and, and eliminate the collectives. And I think that's the way they have to go. But it's going to be very difficult because a lot of these programs, especially out in the South, especially down in the South, they have nothing better to spend their money on than making sure the college football teams are great down South. They don't. That's just the way it is. And you're going to see the the SEC schools and the big city schools, USC, places like that really thrive in this system. So why would they change it? Why would they want the collectives gone? So it's going to be a long process here to get what they all want here, which is some kind of parity in college football, which is go out and, and be able to be able to spend the money, be able to give the players what they deserve and yet still have a very competitive product on the field. I don't know that there is a very competitive product on the field right now. Maybe five, six years down the road where you're looking at four or five teams that can legitimately maybe do it. And of those four or five teams, one or two that are going to be top teams. And, and, and I'm saying that out of experience because I think that's what baseball is. That's what baseball's become. A couple of teams at the top who everybody really thinks is going to win and it's going to take some upsets to to get them out and, and baseball's a little different because anything could happen in a short series not anything could happen in a tournament in football we said it with penn state this year you go in as the 10th seed in this tournament you got to beat ohio state you got to beat michigan then you got to beat washington or whoever in the championship game if you get that far it's not going to be easy alabama you know you're not going to beat those three teams in a row it's just the physical pounding it takes to do that is is astronomical you have to be way better than everybody else and i think teams will be building the deepest rosters they can and then using it in the playoff because that's how you have to do it to win a championship so we'll talk to joey in a second about about that about what nil means well, well you have some examples of players from the area who who are in that that arena right now players from the past what they would have been worth it'll, it'll be a fun discussion with joby fawcett on nil the future the past all of that coming up in a second Joining us on the second half of the Sam Freeman free edition of the Penn State and Football Podcast is our old friend, longtime colleague at the Scranton Times Tribune, high school football writer extraordinaire, Joby Fawcett. Paco, you know a little bit about NIL here. You you deal with it as much as as I do probably at the, at the high school level. How how is it affecting day-to-day life at the at the at the high school level? I, we talked in the first segment about about Tennessee, what's going on there. The NCAA is trying to get a hold on this. They're not going to get a hold on this. Let's let's be frank about it. This is a this is the Wild West. Everything's going to have to be collectively bargained. But it also trickles down, too. What, what are you seeing at the at the high school level here that, 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 that is something that maybe we aren't looking at with NIL? Well, Donnie, first, let me thank you for having me on. But I, you know, I wish NIL was around when I was in school, but I don't know how successful I would have been as a mediocre flash bench warmer at Lafayette College, but I'm certainly would have been open to accepting some sort of a negotiated deal to promote, you know, sneakers or something. But yeah, you were kind listen. of fast back in the day. Let's let's be let's be honest about this guy. Joby was one of the biggest <laughs> athletes ever to come out of the area, and I'm not overplaying that. He, the, the guy could run. He was he was a 
he, he was a great track athlete, great high school football player, and a guy who would have be- benefited from NIL. Well, I, again, I don't know how much that would have benefited me back then in terms of dollars and cents, but, you know, I appreciate you remembering me all those 35 years ago, Donnie. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, one of the first people I called on this at the high school level was a tennis player, uh, Alyssa Wigley from Scranton Prep, only when this first became something that high school players could, uh, you know, explore as a way to make some sort of money via it being some like perceived as a part-time job. And the reason I reached out to a tennis player, Donnie, is because it, it seemed to me early on in the process that at, at least at the high school level, that those types of athletes would have been the ones that could benefit in the immediacy of it because their sports are so niche and they are open to kind of promoting that, you know, a tennis racket or a tennis club or, you know, sportswear, that sort of thing. Kind of in the same veil as as, as Olivia Dunn making billions uh, as a gymnast, okay? Yeah. So, yeah, I thought early on in this process that those types of athletes were going to be the ones that would benefit the most at the high school level. Now, we aren't seeing it as much here locally right now. But what I will tell you is when this first came out, I can remember back again 35 years ago. Could you imagine the amount of money that the Ishmael brothers, Rocket and Kadri, would have made in NIL money as high school athletes then onto the collegiate level? I mean, it could it could have been astronomical, and they certainly could have been groundbreaking at that time. And then, you, you, of course, you referenced Jerry McNamara, what he could have done, the apparel he sold as a high school athlete, you know, the, the, the businesses that made, you know, lots of money off of his name, image, and likeness. So I could see why athletes wanted this type of avenue to earn an income and earn some spending money or whatever. But the explosion at the collegiate level is just incredible, Don. Yeah, this, this is something I was going to get to later on, but I really believe that we would have had two of the great NIL athletes at the college level in the history of the game or any game out of our area. One, one being Rocket Ismail in the 90s at Notre Dame. There was no bigger star in college football than the Rocket. And Correct. a big part of the reason there's probably about 40% of this area is Notre Dame fans. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm one of them. I, I rooted for Notre Dame growing up because of the Rocket. You know, Ron Paulus came after and he went for, you know, out, out of Berwick. He would have been a big NIL guy coming out of high school. But Rocket would have been a big NIL guy coming out of high school through college football. He would have been one of the highest paid athletes of all time. And I think Jerry McNamara would have exceeded that. I, I can't imagine a more marketable athlete in, at the college level than Jerry McNamara was in his day. There, there just isn't one. And for a lot of reasons. But in Scranton, there was no better pitch man than Jerry and Syracuse, there's no better pitch man than Jerry. And and in New York City, where Syracuse basketball is huge, no no guy. I mean, I, I get Carmelo Anthony was there for a year. Hakeem Warwick was there for a couple of years. But Jerry was there four years. He's an icon at that school. He did th- he did things on the national stage on ESPN that you can you can't imagine. That if I wrote a book about it before he did it, you wouldn't buy it. You wouldn't believe it because it just wouldn't be it wouldn't it wouldn't seem realistic. And that was Jerry in, in, in basketball. And that was him coming out of high school too. And those are two of the I, I think most marketable athletes in in the history of college sports. I, I, and and they got nothing. So yeah, every, yeah, everything we say about nil that's going to sound negative about the way the, the game is going, it's necessary because everybody thought it was really neat that, you know, Tim Wagner's sporting goods downtown in Scranton, down, down in Green Ridge, made these McNamara's band shirts, Syracuse on the front, number three on the back. Jerry didn't see a dime out of that. And I know that aggravated him. Well, well, Donnie, listen, and going back to Rocket Ismail, let's face it, he had everything. He had the persona, he had the nickname, he had... You know, he, he came from a small town in Pennsylvania. I mean, he just had it all. And again, that followed suit with Jerry. And sure, it would aggravate him. But I can't imagine, you know, that's obviously the, the blueprint of why this part of 
why this evolved. And if I remember correctly, and you can help me out on this, Matt McGloin was part of the deal where, as you can remember, these NCAA football players were, were, were trying to get some money and some revenue based on the video games using their likenesses. Yes. And so Matt McGloin was a pioneer to this too, saying, Hey, wait a minute, here I am a guy. I'm not necessarily a first round draft choice. I'm not going to make millions of dollars in the national football league, even though he went on to a career in the national football league. And here I am, I am on a video game. They're using my likeness, my name, and the company making that video game and the NCAA is making billions of dollars. And I don't see any of that. And I have a way here to possibly, you know, support my family through past graduation and past my playing career. So, yeah, I can understand why every college football player would like to see some sort of revenue for people using their image or likeness or their name. Okay, so all of those positives are a very important part of this, Donnie. What it has evolved to, though, is what has become worrisome. Yes. And, and as you pointed out earlier, what often happens is, I mean, you look at things that happen on the collegiate level, that does trickle down to the scholastic level. And once that starts to happen, and what I mean by that is, yes, NIL, there are high school players making enormous sums of money. If you, you do any research online, which you do endlessly, you can find some pretty wealthy high school students using their name, image, and likenesses to their advantages, okay? What ends up happening and what will end up happening is the de-evolution, if that is even a word, of what high school sports is supposed to be. And you will turn, much like collegiate football and collegiate athletics are turning, into a professional sporting event where players and families will do what's best for their child. They will move their child and athlete around. They will put them in the best positions to succeed and to generate revenue from their name, image, and likeness. And then you start to get into this war that is beginning and is continuing at the high school level, public versus private. So it's coming, Donnie. And, and that move and push toward more travel baseball, AAU basketball, this is where kids are going to start to make their name. And then you're going to see it impact the high school sports level, which I'm really concerned about, not just as a sports writer, but as someone who loves high school sports. I'm going to try to bring this question up without mentioning an athlete by name, because I don't know if it's fair. But do you see a day coming, because I do, where the top athletes in an area, where you have a kid who's a, a top prospect as a quarterback or a pitcher or a, an outfielder or a, or a a power forward or whatever it is where their main work in that, in that Avenue is going to be in the AAU and travel levels and, and not in uh, on the high school scene as we know it today. I, I could see it coming because those, those are areas that number one, you can make some money off of number two, you can control as a parent, as a player. I, I, I think that the, the, the days when the top athletes play high school sports, and I'm not saying it's going to be next year. I'm not going to be saying it's tomorrow, but I can see in 10, 15, 20 years that, where that's a, that's a thing of the past. I worry about that, Donnie. I would be lying to you if I didn't. Fortunately, I'm aging fast, so I won't be around hopefully long enough to see that happen. But I think you're seeing some of it starting already, Donnie. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, again, we're not going to name any specific athletes, but there are some really, really super athletes in our area right now. And, and many of them have built the, the, the majority of their resumes on independent circuits. So what I mean by that is either in the, as an AAU basketball player or a travel team baseball player, we have several Division I prospects, if not college commits already, who are still high school athletes. At what point does it behoove those kids to not even jeopardize the opportunities that lie in front of them at a much higher level 
by competing at the high school level. And that's all that's listen, folks, this is all part of the NIL trickle down effect. Okay. What parent is going to put their son or daughter's health at risk when they look down the future and down the line and say, okay, you know, what, what is the return on our investment in our child? And what are the potential losses or gains moving forward? So, I mean, you deal with it more on the collegiate level because you have all, a lot of these players and these prospects who are, who pass up bowl games. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's something that college football is looking at too. Now the, 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 the drop in interest of college bowl games. Okay. Why? Because players aren't playing it. The star players aren't playing in it. Okay. And at what point do high school athletes, especially the top ones who are committing as sophomores and juniors say, I'm not going to play my senior year. (laughs) I'm not risking it. I have too much at stake. Now, if they can start to cash in and get a reward for their talents and their name, image, and likeness and their investment, Obviously, they would be encouraged to do that, to say, stay with the high school level sports team. But keep in mind, Donnie, one of the real tricky parts of NIL at the high school level is you cannot use your school's logos. So that, that, that's another part. There's so many things and, and, and variables to the equations that for these high school kids to have to deal with. And again, we're not seeing it as much in our level yet, but there are kids in high school who have NIL deals and they are they are getting some some rewards. So it'd be interesting to see how all of that trickles down into what a high school athlete does, performs, and where they perform. NIL is to me, and this is you, you can step in and, and correct me if 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 I'm wrong here. NIL is great. It's great for Jerry McNamara. It's great for the Rocket. It's it's great for Codron. People know who they are outside of Wiltsbury and outside of Scranton. People knew who they were. I mean, they're, they're marketable in Hazleton. They're marketable in upstate New York. They're, they're marketable everywhere. But we've had, uh, some of these great athletes we we have had, the McCarthy brothers, both, are, both of them were outstanding three-sport athletes in high school. Outstanding. Could have been outstanding however many sports they wanted to play athletes. Does Joe McCarthy have a ton of NIL value coming out of high school in – Hazelton? I, I I don't think so. So it, the the expanse of the reach for NIL is is, is not huge. And, and a guy like Matt McGloin, who earned every accolade he ever got on on the national scale at Penn State, he wasn't a big prospect coming out of high school. Obviously, that story's been well told. So the NIL is is a great way to capitalize on the moment. And I, I think that's what I'm trying to say here. I I don't think NIL is a great way to capitalize on a gr- on a grand scale. For the long term, even Jerry after Syracuse, was he was he a big NIL guy? Is his name image likeness worth much outside of Scranton at that point? I I don't know. Or Syracuse? Not sure. So it's it's not something you can make a living on, but it's something you can you could capitalize on while you could capitalize on something. And and, and I totally agree with the the point of doing that. That said, at at the college level, I, I worry that the athletes put way too much stock in it and. You know, and instead of building the, the resume and, and let's let's face it, the skills that will get you to the pros and, and stick there, because really that's that's what we're we're really looking at. And I, and I think what we're seeing here and you mentioned it with the bowl games, the opt outs. And, and I agree with I, I like I I can't tell a kid not to opt out for the glory of your team and, and, and for, for doing the quote unquote right thing when I wouldn't recommend that to my own kids. I would, yeah. and in fact, and, and and maybe this is something I want to ask you because, yeah, again, you were you played, you you played one double A college football. If you had a chance to play for the national championship, essentially for free, would you take that risk for the national championship? What if what what if you blow out your knee and you're done? Yeah, I, I, mean, I would. I I don't understand what I get why you're not playing the Peach Bowl, but I also don't get why you're playing the semifinals. Yeah, it's a concern, and 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 I, I will tell you, Donnie, what 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 the actual NIL concept is not as horrifying as people 
are always going to make it out to be. I mean, let's face it, these kids are, you know, rewarded handsomely with scholarships. I mean, anybody who is sending their child to college, like I am, like you, you are, yeah. it's a heavy expense and a burden on any family. Okay. Let's put that out there. It's there. So, devastating. It is. So, it, it's, it's a devastating expense. Let's, let's, let's call it what it is. It's just to send a kid to yeah. college these days and to do it where they won't have to come out of it paying hundreds of thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars on a $80,000 bill. Right. And it's, so that, it's, it's that's, tough that's, on families. That's a great number one advantage for being an excellent and outstanding athlete at the collegiate level. Okay. What gets, you know, confusing here for the common person or even someone like myself who, who has a child in college and has put one through college is they, the, the players themselves wanted to, wanted to be the motive behind this was to be rewarded or to at least be compensated for someone else benefiting from them. Correct. And their services, which anybody in their right mind would, would agree that's the right thing to do in America. I mean, that's, that's the idea is, you know, Ryan Day shouldn't make $7 million a year coaching a player and that player, his only compensation is a scholarship, you know? It, and what I mean by that is, and I'm using Ryan Day, I'm sorry if I, I stepped out of line, but even Nick Saban for that matter, he is make he makes a, a, a very good part of his salary was from uh, being a pitch man, the Aflac guy, uh, you know, he, he does various commercials for products. Well, Nick Saban is benefiting because of the players, because he's a coach of Alabama. So naturally those players would want some sort of a compensation on top of that, where the people are benefiting from their name, image, and likeness. That all being said, what has always been the danger of anything like this. And, and I know you would agree with me on it is what it, what it turns into. And what is problematic, I think, not just on the collegiate level, but will eventually come down to the high school level is colleges now, and many of these top flight coaches, including Nick Saban, who has now since walked away because he did. I'll be honest with you. I don't know necessarily if he even knew how to do this because he's not a general manager. He's a coach. But you have to – these kids now, these players, are essentially receiving a salary – some of it just for playing football and that's or basketball or whatever sport where you're, you know, you're bringing, creating revenue for the school. And that's where I think it gets a little bit convoluted and hard to digest for the common fan or the alum who spends money to go see these kids play is when you start turning collegiate athletics into a profession, which right now it, it is a profession. That's why you have so many kids entering the transfer portal. They want to go where they're going to be compensated the most for their services. And it's not necessarily always for an NIL deal. It is for what essentially is a salary. And, you know, how does that trickle down to the scholastic level? I don't know. And I, I don't know if I want to have to deal with it, but it's, this is, this is coming and, and you see it. Donnie at Penn State, you see it uh, on all, at all the Big Ten schools you're, that you're covering. These kids are essentially marketing themselves, and they go out and they put themselves in the best position to play because so they can get their name, image, and likeness out there, so they can be compensated, and they are essentially receiving a salary. So I don't know how the NCA is going to get a hold of this now, because as you know, a, a great line from one of the Batman movies is you should have thought of that before you let the clown out of the box. Yes. And that, that's what has happened here. It, it, it's, it's kind of gotten away from them and we'll see where NIL goes on the collegiate level moving forward, but certainly how it impacts the high school level, it's going to continue to evolve and it's going to continue to mirror what happens at the college level. Cause that's what, that's just what happens. Anybody who thinks that these these schools that win the state football championship or the state basketball championship all the time, that that's going to change, or they're insane. The St. Joe's preps, yeah. the Southern Columbia has won every – but look, Donnie, the bigger problem is for high school, high school athletics, and, and you hear it as much as I do it, 
the imbalance? Is, is it a fair playing field? At least at the collegiate level, their complaints are it's not a level playing field, but that's why they're putting everybody all in the same conferences now because it isn't a play. They're openly admitting it's not a level playing field at the collegiate level. That's why they're putting everybody all in the same conferences. So they have to compete against each other. I mean, that, that's the only way to do this. At the high school level, when you're dealing with a public school versus a, a private school, and what essentially is St. Joe's Prep is is nothing more than a junior college. Correct. I mean, let's face it. If you have a high-prospect high school football player in the, the tri-state area, you're going to – what? you're not going to send your kid to St. Joe's Prep, especially if they're giving out scholarship money, which they are. So, yeah. so, so how does a public school like a Parkland – or, you know, Delaware Valley compete with that? You can't. So at what point does interscholastic athletics have to be looked at as not just necessarily public versus private, but when does that start happening at the public school level? When, when do you start bringing in kids and saying, hey, listen, we win every year. I don't know what you're doing playing at that school. Come here. Come here and play, and you're going to get noticed. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna create a name, image, and likeness because we're going to win. Why would you want to play at that school? That school, you're not, no one's ever going to see you there. That's going to start happening, Donnie. Yeah, no, it's at Newman Garetti was what I was trying to think of earlier. I, I was one of still one of the, the lines I remember writing most. And, and, and when they when they were playing Dunmore in girls basketball in the state playoffs every year, and Dunmore is a not only a public school but a one town public school, and I and I said you know Newman Gretti is recruiting worldwide, and Dunmore is recruiting, but you know out of a ten square mile borough between a, a landfill and a price chopper, and, that, right. and that's that's what high school athletics in Pennsylvania is, and it's that way everywhere. It's some some teams, and and we have some in the area that do it too. Scranton Prep could do it conceivably, where you're rec- you, you could recruit, or you could you could use the transfer portal while other people technically kind of sort of can't, and it's it's a it's a bad situation, especially when you have when you factor NIL in, where you could have con- you know conceivably boosters come in, and I'm not saying it's rampant right now, it's probably not, but where you could have boosters come in, and or you could have interested alumni or whatever it is come in and, and offer something to kids to, to come in and, and, and play and make sure that that school wins that championship or has the best possible team. And, and, and it is, it, it's a, it's, it's a very difficult scenario. It's very difficult for the NCAA who we see with Tennessee is really honestly just trying to hold on to some power here and can, and some control of college football. And they're going to lose it because there is no rules. There are no, there's policies and there are suggestions, but there are no rules as, how, as to how to govern this. And I said it in the first segment, and I'll say it again now because it's true. The longer you go without rules, the harder it is to institute rules because teams, teams like Tennessee, and I'm not, and just because they were the team here, they're not going to want to change the rules. Why would they? Uh, you think Ohio State wants to change the rules the way they are right now? I'm, I Penn State wants to. Michigan probably wants to, but Ohio State doesn't. They want to do exactly what they're doing right now, which is to be able to go out and get any player they want through a, a, an unlimited amount of funds that they have coming in through their NIL collectives. Correct. And that's the way it is. And it and it, is it going to happen in high school? A hundred percent. Well, hundred percent. Donnie, that's exactly right. The NIL collective, that's the term. You're going to hear that more and more and more at the collegiate level. It's no longer just the NIL. It's the NIL collective. And that is a slush fund. That is the essential, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the alumni welcoming the recruit with a bag full of cash. Now that may be a crude way to say it, but that's essentially what the NIL collective is. At what rate does that standard of practice trickle down to the high school level? And dare I say, Our area in Northeast Pennsylvania, we have traditionally been perceived as being somewhat five years behind the curve in society. (laughs) At least. But but, but let's face it, the NIL situation is something that's being dealt with much more in states like Florida, Texas, California. You've seen high school stadiums in Texas, Donnie, for high school games, for football games. These... they put collegiate stadiums, some collegiate stadiums to shame. 
This is going to become, even at the high school level, a way to draw the best talent to your school. And if you don't think that that's happening right now in your backyards, you're naive. NIL is here, and there, it's a, it can be used to great advantage, certainly to, to, to attract the best players. It just can't. It's, it's going to have to be collectively bargained at the college level. And then once that is, to what degree it is, I, I don't know. I, I think that's down the road still. I think we're, we're in this kind of holding pattern on it for the foreseeable future. But once it's collectively bargained, it's still got to, something's got to happen at the high school level. And it's, it's all got to change because the first thing that's going to go, Hey, it's great. Everybody gets to, gets paid what they're worth. I understand the benefit of that. I, I think I think it's great for athletes. I, I think what CJ Dupree is able to do with the Lakeland star who went to Maryland, now he's at Alabama, the tight end. He's been able to improve his NFL draft stock. He's been able to get some money to be able to 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 fund his his family to, to be able to fund what he's doing. It's his it's his work. It is it, you know these people are employees. They just are. They're, they are. And to to be able to do that is great, but the first thing that goes when that happens is, well, two things go. One is this idea that fans aren't going to be asked to fund it. They are going to be asked to fund it through donations and whatever. But number two is the competitive balance. It, it, it just And, and to, to what degree college football had competitive balance and to what degree high school has competitive balance, I don't know. Probably not as high as, as we'd hope without it. But maybe this maybe there's some some way to improve it through NIL. But I, I don't know. I, I, I think the, the rich get richer. And I think there's going to be other schools that that kind of just try to to live on and, and play college football and provide a traditional experience. And they're going to fall by the wayside. Paco, I'll let you go. I know you're All right. taking time out of your day here. Thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun, Donnie. I think you're doing a great thing. I'm glad to see you're thriving in this. And I continue to read everything. And this is cool. This is something that you should be doing. You're very good at it. Hey, thanks so much. I'll uh, I'll, I'll bring this to the next collective bargaining session with the company. Very good. And tell <laughs> Sam I send him my best as well. All right, Paco. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks so much to Joby Fawcett for joining us today, taking time out of his workout routine. And we're lucky we ended when we did because my wife is down in the big room right now here in the studio, the very impressive studio here for the Penn State football podcast. It's about ready to literally tear the walls off the place. Literally, we're redoing the room starting about three seconds. So have to shut this one down for today. Again, thanks to Joby. Sam Freeman will be back next week, hopefully with his car all taken care of. And we'll discuss the all-time James Franklin team, the 10-year anniversary that we promised last week. We will do it in two weeks. We'll start talking about that then. And I'm sure we'll have some more NIL stuff, some more Penn State stuff to talk about, some news breaking as, as we get closer to spring practice. Until then, this is Donnie Collins. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon.